Welcome to this week's Fit for Purpose podcast. This week we're hearing from a law firm uh, that is really doing some different stuff in relation to levelling up than perhaps some of the other law firms and it's ploughing its own furrow. It's, It's Reynolds Porter Chamberlain, RPC. And they're part of the levelling up law project that we've been running with a number of city law firms over the last few months. And it's all about actually looking at what those law firms can do to really push forward on social mobility. It's got them working with lots of very different universities. And we're really excited about the results that are coming down the track and, and what they can achieve. But RPC has taken its own approach on levelling up and being really innovative. And today we're going to hear a lot more about that from Eleanor Davey, because she's the person at the company that's really at the centre of it. And her role is early talent lead. And I'm going to start off, Eleanor, perhaps by asking you about what your role means in practice and and also what it means for RPC. So, So, yeah, Eleanor, tell us a little bit about what early talent lead actually means. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you for having me on the podcast. So, um, yeah, I'm the early talent lead. And what that means is I uh, manage the recruitment and development of our UK trainee solicitors and apprentices. So so those individuals who at the very start of their career and it involves anything from going out to different universities or schools to talk about all of our programs, reviewing the applications that we receive, running our various internships and insight days, then the assessment days themselves. And then I'm there for the duration of the training contract um, or the apprenticeship for those individuals. So I'm sort of there for the whole journey from the very start through to when they hopefully qualify and secure a permanent position at the firm. What I feel really find is really interesting about all of this is that it, it sort of ties to this sense that I've had, you know, increasingly that this transition into the workplace is really important. And actually, on other parts of a person's social mobility journey, we're really focused on those transition moments, especially, for example, earlier on when they're transitioning from primary to secondary and then maybe going to university. Um, but that that transition into work is probably far less thought through in a way, often by businesses and far less managed. What are some of the challenges almost? Because you focus on diversity, I know, as a business as well. What are some of the challenges in making sure that people can actually adjust to what must be quite a tough working environment as well? You know, I mean, it's it's busy, it's hectic, it's brand new for people. How hard can it be for, for some people to sort of just get that career underway? Sure. Well, I mean, absolutely. It, having a career in law is challenging and, and we don't hide that. We're very honest with our applicants. Um, but there are obviously some really great moments in a legal career, whether you're a lawyer or whether you're a member of the business services team. So I think some of the key challenges, particularly for our junior population, is that a lot of them have never worked in a commercial environment before. So they may have had sort of part time roles, which have been really valuable and they've got some great transferable skills. But actually, the day to day reality of working in, as you said, a fast paced, very responsive environment can be quite challenging. So what we do for all of our 
future trainee solicitors and apprentices is we run onboarding programs. So for our trainees, they have a two year lead in time before they start. And then for our apprentices, it can be anything from six months to, to two months. And we make sure that we meet with them a number of times during that period in the lead up to them starting and we'll run skill sessions with them so getting them to think about their personal brands um, sort of social etiquette communication teamwork and so when it comes to their start date they've got a little bit more confidence they know more about the kind of skills that they'll need to succeed and they're fully aware of what their their role is and we find that that's really beneficial and I think particularly in the last year when we've moved to working mostly virtually that's obviously been a really challenging time for anyone I think joining or starting a new role but particularly for those who are junior and um, might not have any experience of it so we had to do a lot of extra work giving them guidance around how to make a virtual impact working with line managers to make sure they're giving all the support that they can to those individuals coming in to, to make it a really positive experience. How hard has it been to do that increasingly online over the last few years? Because I, I can see the huge benefit in that. I remember when I turned up for my first day at PricewaterhouseCoopers, mm -hmm. and I, you know, it was such a steep learning curve that I, I, I went on. You know, it was at times really painful. You know, uh, I'd, I'd worked in an office um, processing invoices actually during the summer when I was a student, but it was just a world away from, mm. you know, starting a career. And and I think had had PwC had more of that approach actually, where I could have built up all of those skills before, that would have made the journey a lot smoother. So how have you how have you approached doing that more online over the past year? Yeah, well. Gosh, I must admit, last sort of March, um, you know, that was a busy sort of month of us thinking, right, how are we going to do this completely virtually? Because we still got the same number of people joining. We still want to offer the same yeah. experience um, because also, you know, we're, we're a business. So we, we want people to be able to do their job and to perform effectively. So it was really, really crucial that we got it right. We're really fortunate um, that at RPC, we have fantastic line managers. So, you know, already we had everybody on board and they were fully prepared to work with their new hires and to make sure they feel really comfortable. So we did all the pre-joining stuff that I mentioned before. We just changed that all to, to be virtual. And in some ways, we were actually able to get a few more people involved than we would have if we were mm -hmm. doing it in person because people are a lot more available when they're working virtually. So there were certainly actually some benefits to doing it that way because they still got to meet with the same number of people. And if anything, they had some more direct conversations with those, those individuals. Mm -hmm. So that that was good um, and we still ran the same sort of skill sessions but I think that the key point is that engagement piece so it's how can we recreate those moments that you might miss out in the office that will really help to build your confidence so you know those chats that you might have in, in by the, the water cooler or when you're going down to grab a coffee and so um, we've set up a number of initiatives at, at RPC which include encouraging managers to make sure they're setting up virtual coffees for, for their new um, recruits with everybody 
everybody in the team, um, arranging lots of virtual socials. And um, we're doing this thing at RPC that's called Coffee Roulette. And what you do is um, you put your name in a hat and then they um, basically do the roulette and then um, out pops your name with someone else and you're kind of connected. And then that week you've got to arrange 30 minutes to kind of catch up with them. So it's a really brilliant way to, to get to meet different people across the firm, particularly if you've not um, sort of, uh, if they're not working in your team. And certainly, I mean, I've worked now at RPC for nine years and I've met people <laughs> that I didn't know very well. Um, and I thought I knew everyone at the firm. So it's, it's, it's been great for people who actually have worked at the organization for a while, let alone new people coming in. It, it just gives them that opportunity to, to get to know a few more people. It's such a good idea um, and a simple one as well. But tell us a little bit for, for RPC. I mean, obviously, um, you're part of this leveling up law project. Um, you're doing your own stuff, as I said, on social mobility. So tell us a little bit about that, but also why why it matters to RPC, because there's clearly, you know, you're doing it for the business. and But it's also the right thing to do. So, so give us a little bit of a sense of where the company's coming from on prioritising social mobility well it's it's a key part i mean inclusion and diversity as a whole is is a key part of our strategy as a firm and you know it's it's great that we've got people at the firm who really believe in it and they see the importance of it not just from a social perspective as you said because it's the right thing to do and you know our people and our future recruits and our clients are expecting us to be accountable and um you know to have a really positive social impact where we can so that that all is one side of it but then the other factor is with a more diverse group of individuals we're able to be a better business and we'll be able to provide a better client service which is is what we're here to do as a law firm so i think it really works in in both sides and i guess we're quite fortunate that from an early talent perspective that's a really great opportunity to get diverse people in from the very start of their careers. Um, and then hopefully we can train and develop them and they stay at RPC. And then we've got a fantastic pool of, of homegrown talent. So it's incredibly important to the firm and you know, social mobility, we, we have different inclusion and diversity work streams at the firm and social mobility has its own work stream and it's it's led by one of our, our partners who um has a, a social mobility background himself and he set up loads of different things at the firm but also supports us with working with organizations like aspiring solicitors seo um, we work with rare recruitment and we use their contextualized recruitment tool so there's all this kind of stuff that we're doing but importantly the business is supporting us to do it you know they're giving us the budget to take part in these programs and they're really seeing how relevant it is to our people and our clients and so tell us a little bit about, for people who haven't come across this before, how contextual recruitment works, but also maybe it's worth just talking a little bit about, it's getting a bit challenging, I suppose, once A-level grades and, and we've seen the school's disruption, but, but explain for people who don't know about what contextual recruitment means. Yeah, so um, contextualized recruitments, we work with Rare and they have this tool that we're able to use when we're screening applications forms that we receive. And essentially, 
it uses social mobility metrics to give us a little bit more information about the candidates that, that we're reviewing. So what we would be able to, to tell from a person's application is perhaps um, how they might have outperformed their peers. So if a candidate has got a set of A-level grades, let's say that individual got um, two Bs and a C, um, and they got those A-level grades at a school where the average is two Ds and an E, that candidate has massively outperformed their peers in that situation, which tells us actually a lot about that individual. It tells us a lot about their resilience and their drive um, and how they've been able to achieve these, these results um, in an environment where they probably weren't expecting to. We're also able to see whether someone um, might have been, for example, uh, part of the care system, um, a certain sort of social mobility cold spots so we look at their postcode when they were at school and all this feeds into how we review a candidate's application so if there are areas of the form that perhaps we've got question marks about but it's flagged up on the system this candidate's background what we might be able to do then is make adjustments and say well you know what um let's take them through to the next stage give them that opportunity because there might have been really good reasons why their application perhaps isn't at the same level um, as someone who's had lots of opportunities in in their lifetime um, and sometimes we don't have to make any adjustments at all and and you see the most fantastic applications coming through um, and you know some of these individuals have had really really challenging backgrounds and it's incredibly impressive but but essentially what it means is that we are considering a more diverse group of candidates and I think if you'd asked me five to ten years ago I think we would have been knocking those those candidates out at the very start of the process I don't think they would have even got past the first stage so it's fantastic that we can use this tool and it means that we're not missing out on this really great talent um, that, you know we want to join RPC and, and to become a lawyer. Mm. It's fantastic to hear and, and the other area that you have focused on perhaps more than many law firms is of course apprenticeships and actually creating these different routes into law perhaps than the more traditional ones that that people have had to use before tell us a little bit about the apprenticeships and the legal profession work that RPC have done and, and almost how hard has that been to weave into you know what has been a very long-standing route into to law through university yeah, so this is something I'm really passionate about, and it was a, a program that I led and was very much behind, and it was in 2018 that we were having internal discussions um, with particular teams in our, our Bristol office, and the, the Bristol recruitment market, I would say, is perhaps not as fluid as, as the London recruitment market, and there's a big focus on homegrown talent, and we were thinking of different ways that we could get that homegrown talent into, into the um, organisation. And we work with um, the University of Law. So we they're our training provider for all the courses that we get our, our future training solicitors to do. And we were having some conversations with them about different options. And so we started talking about apprenticeships and we thought, why not? Let's let's give this a go. We'll, we'll do a sort of pilot scheme and see if it could work, because if this works, this is a, a fantastic opportunity. Not only are we getting people, you know, 
fresh from school essentially at the very start of their career um, we can train them up um, have this pool of homegrown talent that know RPC really well um, they'll be able to provide excellent client service at the back of it and there'll be a trained lawyer at the end of it so it, it seemed like a win-win situation and unfortunately it was something that our, our leaders really got on board with they said yeah let's let's give it a go and see how it works so the way the structure works is our um they do a two-year paralegal apprenticeship which is a level three apprenticeship mm -hmm. and that's the equivalent to an a level mm -hmm. and once they've completed the two-year paralegal apprenticeship if they're still interested then what we'll do is transfer them onto the solicitor apprenticeship which would then mm -hmm. take a further five to six years and the reason we've done it that way is because when you're 18, it's quite a commitment to commit to a six to seven <laughs> yeah. year apprenticeship. And some people change their minds and they might think that they want a career in law when they're 18, but they might not necessarily want that four years later. The beauty of doing the two year paralegal apprenticeship is at the end of that two years, they come away with a qualification so they can leave if they want to. And they've got a qualification. They've got something that they can show. To, to represent the last two years um, whereas if you just did the solicitor apprenticeship on its own you wouldn't be able to do that you either start um, or, and then you finish and you have to, to make it the whole six to seven years so that's the way that we've done it and to date every single paralegal apprentice that has completed their apprenticeship at RPC has gone on to start the solicitor apprenticeship course which is fantastic um, we've actually just finished our recruitment for our, our new paralegal apprentices who are going to be starting this autumn so that was the legal side um, of the apprenticeship scheme. And because that was such a success and, you know, we, we, we were able to recruit some really fantastic individuals and they really impressed the teams. Um, they started um, filtering around the firm and then some of our other teams said, oh, we'd quite like an apprentice. So we actually then expanded the program to include lots of our business services teams. So our finance, IT, HR, brand marketing and sales, design. So we now have about 20 apprentices at RPC um, in both legal and business service functions, which is just brilliant. And the firm has been completely behind it and they can clearly see the value of, of getting these individuals into the firm. And then these individuals don't have to pay tuition fees for university. They're not in lots of debt at the end of their university experience. They're getting paid and they're getting qualifications. So I, I kind of wish when I was at that stage, I think I would have seriously considered doing an apprenticeship because I just think it's such a great option for, for people out there. I mean, I think you've explained it brilliantly. And it's actually something that, you know, you're really one of those pioneering law firms because not so many have looked at the legal apprenticeship route. Mm. You set out how RPC have done it. Mm -hmm. And quite a few sort of say, oh, you know, it's quite hard to sort of fit into the business. But you've obviously found a way to do that. Yeah. So we have um, in our Bristol office, we have, um, I guess you call it sort of a paralegal resource hub. Uh, so it's where we have a big group of, of paralegals and claims handlers and they provide support to different teams across the firm so we have our paralegal apprentices based within that hub and then when they transfer to the solicitor apprenticeship after the two years we would then put them on placements in in different teams across mm -hmm. the firm so they would actually sit within the legal teams themselves um, and we actually find it absolutely fine 
Um, the teams love having the apprentices there. They, I think they really enjoy, you know, being able to train them up and, and mm-hmm. give them the best legal experience they can. And, and it's, it's an investment, you know, we're investing in these individuals so that we get great lawyers at the end of it. So there's an incentive there for everybody to get stuck in. And, you know, it, it hasn't caused any problems in terms of running alongside our trainee recruitment program. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually they're, they're at the moment um, a little bit separate because we still got a couple more years to go on the solicitor apprenticeship but yes. there's been absolutely no issue and you know at that point especially once they're I'd say three to four years into their solicitor apprenticeship they're performing at the same level as our, our trainee solicitors are so you know that our, our lawyers can expect the same quality from our apprentices as they can from our trainee solicitors. And I think that's so important. That parity piece is incredibly important when you're introducing all these different programs, you've got to make sure there's that equal opportunity and parity across the board. So your sense is really that actually many, many model firms can take this approach. It's almost a question of, you know, a will to do it. And as you say, having having a broader company get really behind you know what why why it matters so much I mean I would hope so I I don't know the inner workings of other law firms (laughs) but um certainly from my perspective it's been a really positive experience at RPC um maybe it's just our our culture and that you know I think we are progressive in the way that we're looking at resourcing but um it's certainly been a really positive experience for us and I definitely encourage other firms to consider it because at the end of the day, you're getting really great talent into the business. And if you have great talent in your business, you'll be able to provide an excellent client service. And that's what we're here to do. So I, I think it's it's certainly something people should consider. It's, it's really fascinating. And just sort of almost the, the existing business obviously has been through a huge impact of, I guess, the pandemic. And, and you know, as we've talked about in the past, a lot of people working from home, including, as you set out, some of the new starters as well. Mm. How hard has it been more broadly at RPC navigating through the pandemic when it really has changed a lot of the way that people work now? Yes. I mean, I think we can all probably say the last year has, has been challenging for everybody in some way, shape or form. Um But I think that what was great about the way that we approached it at RPC is that there was full support from day one. You know, the first day that we were working from home, um, it was really fantastic to see kind of how the firm really rallied. And we're in a really fortunate position whereby the firm didn't have to reduce anyone's hours, anyone's salaries. No one was put on furlough. There wasn't a recruitment freeze. I carried on with my recruitment just as normal. So that was incredibly reassuring um, to be working in that environment. And it was great to know that you kind of had this this really supportive firm. I mentioned that we carried on with sort of all all of our virtual onboarding. Um, For me personally, with with my my client group, which of course is all the trainee solicitors and apprentices, I, I was really worried at the start because I thought, oh my goodness, you know, they've not spent much time in the office. We had a, we've had a whole trainee intake who joined in September, 2020. 
who've not actually spent any time in the office um you know and that must just be such a strange thing when you're starting out in your career but we just made sure that we were really embedding some good practices um, within the business. So in terms of ensuring that all of our supervisors were trained on how to supervise virtually to make sure that we're having even more regular check-ins with the trainees to make sure that the supervisors are doing the same because it's very easy in the office to say hi to someone in the morning goodbye to them at the end of the evening and you can get a sense if someone's okay or if perhaps they yeah. might be struggling yeah. a little bit and maybe need a bit more support and obviously you can't see that when when you're all working from home so it's about those small things it's encouraging you know the supervisors to check in with their person they're supervising every morning and every evening but to do it virtually um you know figure out a communication style that works for, for the both of you um so yeah lots of training lots of checking in reframing how we do our learning and development so I'm now an expert user of zoom and how to use that <laughs> in various training and skill settings and it's the same in recruitment you know normally um, my team and I would be going out to different universities and we would be standing at law fairs and chatting to students and we had to completely rip up the rule book last year and, and change the way that we um, speak to people interested in RPC about the firm and what life is like as a lawyer and and to make it as interactive as possible and you know yeah i think i think there's it has been challenging but we've put things in place that we think can provide a, a really good alternative to that in-person experience and it's clear listening you know to you talk that you obviously really care about this entire area of sort of bringing the right people into the business really nurturing them to sort of do well steering steering through actually a really difficult time for people um during the the pandemic where's that come from Eleanor? i mean have you always been interested if you like in the people side of businesses or or, or in a sense is this career di direction you've ended up going in really not necessarily what you you'd originally had in mind well, if I if I think back to so when I went to university, I actually studied history, um, and I think I did history. Well, firstly, I enjoyed it, but also because I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do in my career. Mm -hmm. So I, I did not know at eighteen what I wanted to do. Um, I certainly I did, didn't. I can yeah. tell you that. I haven't got <laughs> <Yeah>. a clue. <laughs> yeah, um, and I came out of university and I was trying to think, okay, what is it that I enjoy? And I think where I get my energy from is working with other people, um, whether that's working with them to help them succeed and develop in their career or to find out what they want their career to be. And, you know, I'm, as you can probably tell, I really enjoy working at RPC. So. I find it quite easy to talk passionately about why I think it's a great place to train and why you could have a great career here. So yeah, it's. I think I've always been interested in, in the people side of, of businesses. Um, and I actually sometimes wish that I'd done something like psychology at university because mm -hmm. it interests how people operate, what motivates them, what drives them, what drains them that really fascinates me and how you can get the best out of someone I think is yeah it's really interesting and it's fantastic for me to now see because I've been in this role for a few years now um you know I can see people who started on a, an internship with us and then was offered a trainee you know trainee um a solicitor role and now they're progressing very nicely 
at the firm and they're in senior positions and it's just fantastic to see that that progression and clearly you've you know you've got a long way to go in in your career in many respects you know you're really still comparatively at the beginning of it although clearly making a big impact um at rpc both both sort of for the business but also for the people you know that are coming into it and if you were sort of giving your ever so slightly younger ella she's still <laughs> pretty young um more ad- advice to yourself you know perhaps back at university um or even before at school um what would that be do you think so i would say it's to be bolder and to not be afraid to push myself outside of my comfort zone Mm -hmm. and i i think it's it's as i've got more experience and as i've um kind of increased my confidence in what i'm doing then you know i find that very easy to do now but actually i think there are times perhaps when i was more junior in my career that i could have maybe pushed myself a little bit more had the confidence to do that so i i think i'd be saying to myself don't hold back don't be afraid to have challenging conversations or to ask questions um Mm. you know whether that's about questions about where you see your career going career goals salary discussions all of those sorts of things um you know you can have those really open and honest conversations in a very calm way and yeah and you can get some fantastic opportunities off off the back of it so if you're interested in the sound of a project whether that's at university or whether that's you know in your current role then tell someone and put your hand up for it and say I'd love to get involved in this worst case scenario they say oh it's probably not quite right now but we'll think of you for the next project so I think that's what I'd be saying to myself is just be a bit bolder and, and don't be afraid to put yourself out there it's really interesting because I think um, it's I think sometimes when you you're sort of starting out on your career and I, I found this mm. you know you're working really hard you're trying to do everything you need to do you know you're trying to impress your boss and all of that and and it's it's of course massively important to you but at the same time what you probably don't realize is your boss has got a million things going on <laughs> yeah and so they're not spending although you're spending all your time thinking right what do i do next how do i find my career and what do i need to find out actually that is not necessarily top of you know your boss or their boss's agenda so actually they do need a bit of a prod don't they, they, they to do. remember that and some bosses as you know, Eleanor, absolutely brilliant at always looking out for you and, and having that in mind. But actually, you know, a lot of the time, you know, they get busy. And then, you know, there are some bosses, you know, I had one boss who was in the States. He wasn't even in the same, he wasn't even in the same building as me or the same country as me. So actually, you know, it taught me that I did need to find different ways to have those ongoing conversations about development. Because probably yeah. realistically, they weren't going to happen unless I initiated them. And, and it mm-hmm. felt a bit awkward, I must admit, when, you know, when I was doing it. But after a while, I was like, well, I need to make this stuff happen. And if that's what I need to do, it's fine. And actually, funnily enough, they didn't mind at all. They quite liked engaging with, you know, what yeah. I needed to do next and all that. Definitely. I think once you've done it once, it's absolutely fine. You just get used to it. And, you know, only you know how you're feeling 
and what you want from your career um you know people can't mind read and you know you don't want yeah. them to make assumptions so um yeah have have that confidence to 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 yeah try and speak up if you can and it it really doesn't need to be in a an aggressive way or in in a way that um you're worried it'll come across as you know you can just have it as part of a conversation so that would that would be what I say great advice and then on the other side Eleanor tell us about maybe a brilliant piece of advice you've been given by someone else that's that's really worked for you yeah so actually probably um I think for for me it it was around that, that thing that I've just sort of talked on is that I remember someone really vividly saying to me once, you know, um, <laughs> no one knows what necessarily what you're thinking or what you're feeling. And it's it's for you to kind of share that with somebody. And if you're, I mean, I, I'm quite lucky that um, I've always felt relatively comfortable um, kind of chatting with my managers and with my team. You know, we're a really collaborative team, which is brilliant. But I think if you... Um, perhaps someone that is a, a bit shy or um, perhaps more of an introverted individual, um, then maybe just have a think about different ways that you could um, have those conversations. So it doesn't always need, need to be a verbal conversation. It could be that before you have a, a career review, um, you drop an email to your manager and say, oh, look, I just thought I'd send through an agenda. I'd love to discuss these points. Obviously we can bring them to life in, in the review discussion, but just so you've got a heads up. And that way, if you are a bit shyer or feel a bit nervous about um, having a conversation about these things, you've kind of set the scene, um, but you've not had to do it verbally. You've done it in sort of written format. So again, it kind of links into to that piece of advice that um, I, I wish I'd had when I was starting out and I probably only got it a bit later in my career. Um, yeah, that you, only you know what you're thinking and feeling and, and want to get out of your career. Mm-hmm. So you've got to tell someone what that is for them to help and support <laughs> you. Very true. Brilliant. It's, I mean, it is great advice, actually. And, you know, I just think they can make a real difference to people just sort of getting some of those pointers like you say and it's it's different ways you know everyone's different so yeah maybe people might find it a bit hard talking but you can communicate in in other ways than that as you say so looking back then proudest career moment Eleanor what would you say so far I should say so far I think for me, it was when I got my senior manager promotion. So mm-hmm. I um, started at RPC at the, at the very start of my career. Um, I'd only had sort of one or two other very short-term roles before. So I started here in a, a junior position and I've been able to kind of work my way up at mm-hmm. RPC. And so it was eight, no two years ago that I got my senior manager um, promotion. And mm-hmm. it was just um, a really great combination of lots of hard work, but also enjoying that hard work and, you know, hopefully, I, I hope, achieving some good things for RPC. And I think, you know, as part of that, one of my proudest parts of that promotion was the apprenticeship programme and introducing that to RPC and just seeing it grow 
I'm just seeing some great people coming in. You know, we've in, in the people team, we've um, got three apprentices and two of them have now um, finished their apprenticeship and they're in permanent roles within our team. And, you know, it's just great to see how far they've come in such a short period of time, actually. You see, I can't, I don't get to pick your apprentice crew in the moment. You have to do that. But if I was, <laughs> I would have said your apprenticeship stuff because... I genuinely think that is groundbreaking. And I think it really has set, thrown the gauntlet down actually to a wider legal sector to say, actually you you can do this Mm -hmm. in practice. And maybe it is hard, maybe it's not how you've done it in the past, but actually, you know, listening to you talk about it, I, I almost defy anyone to kind of, hear what you said how great it's been for for your law firm and not think hmm maybe maybe we could (laughs) have a look and see whether it works for us because clearly it's been it's been hugely beneficial to RPC so I hope if there's anyone listening to the podcast um who's you know in law then it maybe is a good old prod to, to have a bit of a rethink and I certainly think for an outside world um they want to they do want to see you know um even sort of long-standing professions like law take a fresh look at how you can create these new routes in you know to make it more open to more people so so great stuff Eleanor right last question is actually the easiest one I think (laughs) favorite book favorite movie and why over to you okay right so my well I'm gonna do favorite movie first so my favorite movie is actually Jurassic Park I just love it (laughs) I know it's a bit of a random choice but um ever since I watched it as a child it's just I just thought it was brilliant and I watched it the other day and I was like oh it's still it's still quite good (laughs) what do you like about it so much I just think at the time when I first watched it I just remember thinking this whole concept of oh my goodness like could this actually happen I mean obviously I don't think it can but I just remember that being so exciting and the fact that you know there were dinosaurs on earth Mm. I mean many many years ago but I find that just incredible that if you go to the Natural History Museum and Mm. you see everything they have there I just still find it amazing that there were dinosaurs on earth so yeah that's a bit of a random one Um, no that's a good one and it's like a thread isn't it from these incredible beasts whatever you want to call them Mm. to us and there's a connection and you know maybe maybe that's why you ended up doing history maybe it sort of inspired you a little bit about how that all works you know one planet but all of those different things that have been part of it Definitely, definitely. I, I, even now, I mean, I'm, I'm not really doing anything history related in terms of my career, but I still love reading about loads of different parts of history. And yeah, I find whenever you get the question of, oh, if you could time travel, would you go back to the past or would you go to the future? I would always go to the past. I would always oh. want to see, for, for, you know, in my own my own eyes what it was like to live in a certain period of time all right so you you can't you can't float that one Ella, without (laughs) me asking the obvious question and I know this this is sort of slightly different we're going off on a segue here listeners I'm I'm sorry I'm going to get back on track and wrap it up in a second but I have to ask you so time travel where would you go going back which period so I would say um and 
a period of history that really interests me is like the French Revolution. So that's the, the late 1700s. And I would love to go to the French court and different areas of France and just have a see at what was going on because it was such a tumultuous period of history. And I would just love to, to be on the fly on a wall in, in some of those, those rooms and when some of those conversations were happening. So that would be for me. What would it be for you? Where would you well, funnily enough, I think I might pick that same period. So I've, I've, you know, for some time been really interested in just how revolutions happen and why. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think actually one of the reasons was I read that brilliant Hilary Mantel book, A Place yeah. of Greater Safety, which I absolutely loved. I actually think it's it's one of her best books. Okay. Um, but it really, I, I've always been fascinated by people. And actually when you were saying at the beginning of this, um, how you sort of wish you'd done psychology or whatever, actually, what was in my mind was I thought, well, but history is all about people actually. And it's about the decisions they make and, and all mm-hmm. of that. So yeah, I totally agree. And I, I think so many things were happening, not just in France at that time, but really around the world, you know, in, in what would then become the United States, yeah. you know, the pressure it put on our own political system subsequently in, in, in England and Great Britain, all of that, um, it's a really fascinating period of time and, and, and kind of dominated by some really interesting characters as well. So I'd probably join you on that journey. Okay. <laughs> Go there together. <laughs> yeah, I, I, my other point would be I'd nip back to see the pyramids. I really do want to nail one day how, you know, yeah. what's another the story? Mystery. Another mystery to solve. So final question then, favourite book? So, yes, yeah, so my favourite book is Rebecca. Um, by Daphne du Maurier so yeah my all-time favorite it's one of those books that obviously even though I know the story (laughs) I keep going back to it and I reread it Um, I just I love the setting I love the characters I love that it's a bit of a thriller and I remember the first Mm. time I read it I really wasn't expecting it to be so it really surprised me um, the way that kind of twists and turns that that Mm. would that's my all-time favorite Good answer. Well, look, um, Eleanor, it's been fantastic having you on the podcast. Thanks so much for talking about all of the work that you're doing at RPC and and that the the firm is doing more broadly. It's brilliant having RPC as part of the Leveling Up Law Project. And we're just so looking forward to keeping on working with you as well. Um, It's just fantastic stuff that's really making a difference. So thanks for coming on the Fit for Purpose podcast. Of course. And thank you very much for having me. It's been great.